Okay. Welcome to Joseph Farley Presents. Um, we're so happy you joined us, and uh, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking to Dr. Jeffrey Smith, my co-host, and Dr. Diane By- Byron, or By- Brian, yes. sorry, and uh, Linda Durst, who's uh, written a book on Quiet Mind. And Jeff, you have a friend who, uh, has he joined us yet? I'm not sure if James is on okay. the line yet or not, Joseph. Okay. Um, anyway, um, we're going to talk about fear. And, and boy, what a, what a great subject because we certainly have a lot out there right now with all the stuff going on. So um, what is your, what's your explanation of fear? What do people come and talk to you about, Jeff, in your practice? Well, I'd like to take just a few moments and define what fear is so that we have a context in which to present the information that we're going to share today. Great. So in one of Marianne Williams' books, she wrote a book called There Is Only Love. And I'd like to define how that's absolutely 100% true. And I would like to use physics to support that notion or that theory. So in physics, there is light and heat. The only way that you can make dark is to remove light. Dark by itself does not exist. Light is the only thing that exists, and when you remove it, we have an experience that we call dark. It's an experience, though. It doesn't actually, we're just experiencing. Same thing with heat. So there is only heat. If you remove heat, Humans have an experience that we call cold, but the only way to make cold is to remove heat. Love works the same way. There is only love, and in the absence of love, we get to an energy that we call fear. And in some of David Hawkins' work, in his famous book called Power Versus Force, he describes about 20% of the world is living in the energy of love, and about 80% of the world is living in the energy of fear. And that's just such a perfect topic for us to talk about today in light of everything that's happening politically, health-wise, religiously. There's a lot of energetic fear taking place in the planet today and what our show could be about, and we'll see which direction we go in here, but is directing people how to move back to love, how to move back to peace, how to move back to faith and hope and those characteristics or those principles that all of us, you know, as you get older, you kind of want to gravitate toward that. So you don't wind up crotchety and old and grumpy and full of disease. <laughs> so you, you could put <laughs> disease and health on that same continuum. <laughs> You're so right about that. You know, Jeff, all the people that, we, that you and I talked to, all the people we talked to who had near-death experiences that come back, and the first word they say is, all there is is love. Uh-huh. Yes. It's the same that we yes. have to have that near-death experience to understand that. Uh, and so I'm glad we're talking about fear today. Um, yes, certainly NDEs are one way to get there, Joseph. Another way is to just have a deep spiritual practice where you're involved in meditative states and deep prayer. And But you got to do it, you know, daily. It has to be a daily practice in order to stay in that space where you're resonating in love more than you are in fear. 
where 80% is a lot of people who are in fear. Absolutely, and that's why wars are fought. That's why we believe there's limited resources, because we actually live in an abundant, an abundant uniform, uh, universe. You know, in the, in the Bible, as one holy book, it talked about, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find. So, you know, we're encouraged to ask. And, you know, our big daddy, your loving daddy in the sky, or however you view God or the universe, if we ask, we're going to receive. But they're not things mm-hmm. like a new Cadillac. I mean, that's not something mm-hmm. that you'd ask for. I mean, what you'd ask for would be peace and health and wellness and unity, harmony, tranquility. You know, these are the things that we really want to ask for and then bring those and manifest those into our life. And the universe will comply with that. But it does require, you know, moving away from people that resonate in fear, including TV shows we watch, you know, the movies and the books we read. You really have to be sensitive and aware of what we're exposing ourselves to. Because whatever frequencies we expose ourselves to, we're going to begin to resonate in those energies as well. You know, just like a piano chord, if you strike one chord, the one next to it starts to resonate and vibrate also, or like a guitar string. So... We are the company we keep. We are the energy that we expose ourselves to. And um, it's just I a had, wonderful... I had, I had somebody know? say to me, well, I had somebody say to me a long time ago, and I believe it with all my heart, we are the directors and the co-producers co, um, of our life. We, we, we actually set, our, we set ourselves up. That's true. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we write the scripts, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, sometimes we, we write ourselves a little negative stuff, and of course it reacts. Well, so, Diane, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> God, i got to rub the microphone. Um, huh. You know, Joseph, our fear is our perception. Fear in itself doesn't really exist. We create it because of that's how we, how we see things. But if we can see them with fear, we can also see them without fear. It's a matter of a lot of self-training and a lot of um, practice that uh, this allows us from seeing everything in fear. You take the world today, it can be a very fearful place if you look at it that way. Or you could look at what's happening with this pandemic and the the value of it. Um, Families are together. Families are talking. Um, It's something that hasn't happened in years. The parents are finally getting to know their children and the things that their children do and say. Um, that in itself is a great asset. So um, it, it's a matter of looking at those things versus the fear aspect of the pandemic. And life is never, ever easy, and it's never, ever predictable. There's always going to be elements that make you question what's tomorrow. But when you realize you've got, got a hand on it, don't worry about it. It works. Well, so Jeff, when people come in and talk to you about fears, what do you say? Well, they don't actually talk to me about fear, Joseph. It's something that we end up guiding them to, because when, what people come in to talk to me about is something that they're upset about, right? That, that's the nature of psychotherapy, is helping people become aware of what it is that's making them upset, and then going about a structured process in which they can be less upset or what we would call set. You move from a state of dysfunction to function, or you move from an energetic state of 
discomfort to comfort, you know, however you want to view it. But the, the idea is that in talking with people about what makes them upset, it always comes back to fear, Joseph. So fear is what underlying. I mean, there really are only, there's only love, right? But as you move away from love, you'll begin to resonate in an energy of fear. And that's not something that people just, they don't know. Most people really don't know (laughs) this concept. It's not well taught. It's not necessarily a secret or a mystery. But just, you know, most people do not understand. If you're upset, you're resonating in an energy of fear because you've moved away from love. And we have some kind of a story that we're telling ourselves that is inconsistent with the energy of love. You know, everything's actually perfect as it is, and we can tolerate and deal with whatever shows up in our life. And if we do it in an accepting, understanding way that we can change the things that we can, then we can be at peace and harmony, even though there's a COVID virus going on, even though that there are wars going on, or there's a sex trade industry going on. It's not that we condone it and we're totally okay in turning a blind eye to it. It's just like, what can we do in an energy of love to teach other people not to be selfish and not to engage in behaviors that are taking advantage of other people? So that's kind of a long answer to your question, Joseph, about how do you, how do I, as a psychotherapist, guide people back toward seeking love, seeking light, seeking wellness and health, both physical health and emotional health. But it is a process over several sessions to bring people into the awareness of if you're upset, you're operating in an energy of fear. And what is it you're afraid of? You're afraid of you know, being alone? Are you afraid of being rejected, being unacceptable, having little value or worse? I mean, you really go after the core issues that make people upset. And then you're afraid of not being loved. Yes, yes, most people are. Absolutely, Joseph. I'm not lovable. I have no value and worse, which is absolutely not true. Never, never was true, never will be true. And so, and so, you know, we have a lot of military people who listen to us up in DuPont and, and I've always thought, um, I mean, what do, how do parents teach their child not to fear, not to have fear? Can you say that again, please? I'm sorry. How do parents who have, who have children now at home, more, more so than ever, teach them how to, not to have fear? Well, the, again, we have to go back to core belief systems of believing that there's some aspect of I'm not going to get what I need. And this is such an amazing, fun principle to teach people. That the fact, if, if you're breathing and we're having this conversation right now, and everybody out in Radio Land that's listening to this, if you have ears to hear and you're actually comprehending and participating in this experience of listening to our show, you have gotten everything you've ever needed in your life in order to be here right now listening to this show. Now, most people get their needs and their wants mixed up. So, if, you know, again, if you look at one of the scriptures that says, you know, God's faithful to provide all of our needs. That doesn't mean wants. We get a lot of the things we want, but just like a two-year-old throws a temper tantrum when they're not getting what they want, we also do that as adults. And so mm-hmm. somebody who's upset, somebody who's operating in fear is getting their wants and their needs mixed up. So if you could agree with me by virtue of if you're able to hear this show today and participate in the show, 
and you're alive, that means every moment of your life, you have gotten what you've needed. Not what you've wanted, but what you've needed. And to know that you're always going to get what you need. There'll be a day for all of us where we don't take a breath or our heart stops beating. We call that, you know, the moment of physical death. And that's, you know, that's fine. We graduate, we transition on into, you know, what's next. But between here and there, we're going to get what we need. And that's a very comforting belief system. So truly what makes people afraid, Joseph, is that they have distortions in their belief systems, such as, I didn't get what I needed when I needed it, I don't have what I need now, or I won't get what I need in the future. So that concept runs consistent in time with regard to the past, the present, and the future. And that's what's neat about truth, is it fits both past, present, and future. And so teaching people truth, here's another layer that we're folding into what is fear, is fear is a distortion of truth. Truth and love go together, fear and lies go together. Does that make sense, that you're on a continuum and it's practicing? And that's what a negative belief system is, is it's a lie. It means, Mm -hmm. you know, mom and dad didn't pay attention to me, so therefore I must not be valuable or worthy. Well, that wasn't true. Mom and dad were just distracted. You're amazing. You're a child of God. You're an inspiration and a spark of light and love that the universe has given you. And this is the energy that you could be operating in, or you could entertain the belief that I'm not valuable and lovable, and you can be in that energy. It's up to you. Joseph, are you there? I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away by this because it's so true. <laughs> so that's the answer to the question of as children. You know, you said you have a lot of military in the area that have children, and if the children are afraid, there's some belief system that's at play in their mind that they're either not getting what they need or won't get what they need, but they really, you know, children really don't understand what needs are. So that's another fun, a really fun discussion to have with people is what is a need and what is a want? And to the best of my ability for the last 20 years, I've put together a list of needs that only consists of six things, and they're fairly simple things. You know, I, I believe we need our organs and our blood to be on the inside of our body, not the outside of our body. And that's kind of a funny or humorous way of saying, I need some level of physical health and wellness to, to survive, right? So we could agree on, you know, blood needs to be inside, not on the outside. So the next one is I need some air to breathe. I don't have to have constant supply. There's times when I might be underwater and I can't breathe, but at some point I need air to continue living. I need some water occasionally. I need some food occasionally and some form of shelter. It doesn't have to be a house. It could be a tent. It could be a cave. But, you know, human beings on this planet have sought shelter in some way or another for, you know, millennia. And that's an important thing, too. But it doesn't have to be a mansion, right? So I don't have the house that I want. Well, okay. There's a lot of people on the planet that don't have the house they want. But do you have shelter? Yes, I have shelter. Okay, well, can you be content with the shelter you have for today and then the next thing is is some form of love the ability to self-love to know that you're loved by god so those are the six things and they're really simple and that's the last one though is the one that i believe brings people into therapy or sets them on a path for some kind of spiritual pursuit is this trying to understand what love is and to bring it into my life and to be able to live it 
continuously. Stay in that energy of love and don't move back into the energy of fear. <laughs> wow. It's all good. That's, it's that's all beautiful, good Jeff. <laughs> well, thank Hi, you. Hi, Joseph. Thank you. Hi. Well, you know, it so, also, I, I have a couple of notes that I would I would tie in with what, uh, and, and this is Linda, by the way, obviously, and I would tie in with what uh, Jeff is saying. If I were to teach children three things, I'd teach them self-esteem. This gives them resilience and self-sufficiency and knowing that they can always overcome an obstacle that will come their way. I don't think there's enough uh, emphasis on self-esteem in children simply these days. And the next thing that came to my mind echoes what Jeff is saying on spirituality. Just for children to always know that they are always, always loved and they are never, never alone. It's just a powerful reinforcement for them. And the third one that came into my mind was that we live in an abundant universe. I believe that a lot of what's feeding what, what Jeff is talking about is that we, in, in today's society, we are taught too much about lack. I want, I need, as opposed to looking at things from, from abundance and looking at that, that, that constant flow and the law of circulation. So those are the three points that popped up for me. Those you are know, being a, being a probation officer, I've met a lot of kids who come from single family situations or broken marriages or whatever they were. And um, and they that was the biggest deal with them. They didn't feel love. I had one guy ran away from five foster homes because he didn't feel love there. And uh, he found, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's, it's important to teach kids love. You're you're absolutely right about that. So Linda's got this book called A Quiet Mind that she wrote. <laughs> and how's it? How, and also tell them about your Facebook that you're doing now. Online about this. Well, quiet mind is put together in really, really simple language and, and and simple, you know, bullet points. You know, we can talk about cognitive thought and and neuro linguistic programming, or we can talk about you know the power of of thought. We can talk about higher consciousness and all the aspects that, that could feed into that, or we can talk about the power of love and joy. These are examples of how it boils it down into simple parts. So it's, 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 a, it's a mini book. It's, it's, a, it's a small outline, very simple for people to absorb. But I decided it would be enriching for the reader. Uh, you know, my desire is to share my success with, with the world. I'm retired and this is just the way I fulfill myself. I, I call myself the Angela Lansbury of mental health. And mm. so I, I, I have just completed uh, a 12-week course of study that took different sections of, of the book and, and, and just brings them alive with uh, videos that I tape of myself and important topics and insights and more importantly, I go into a coaching corner every Thursday where I give them exercises and tips, and every day has an affirmation. So as people go through this process, it's, it's more than a learning, it's an absorption, I guess, is, is what I would say. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit, I'm going to very briefly talk about, about fear, and I, you know, I can talk about what to teach children, but I never had, I never had children, but I had... If, if you didn't read my book, you wouldn't know my story. And 
that I went through a period in my life called the Dark Ages, where I encountered every possible life tragedy, including having cancer. And I write in my book that having lost my identity, my sanity, all of my money, and my right breast, I was completely out of the reach of conventional medicine. And after seeing specialists in three different states, I came home and let go of the rope and said, you know, God help me, because if I can't pull myself out of this hole, I'm going to spend the rest of my life on disability and welfare. And I, I just, mm. I was just incredulous that, you know, a smart, well-educated kid from a good family could really find herself in the gutter. And there are just basic points that I learned just from, from my experience and exploration and one is that fear just being a lack of knowledge, and the more people can 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 fill themselves in, you know, what Jeff is saying, identify where the fear is, and and get to get to know it. There's that old acronym F E A R, false evidence appearing real, and that is just so true. And I think that that people sometimes forget. This goes back to the self-esteem, they forget that they are empowered to go out and find answers for themselves. They were, were too eager to, you know, like a puppy, turn over, you know, belly up and give our power away to other people. And in, I think self-empowerment and getting, you know, back into integrative medicine is going to be um, our way in into a better uh, and a more affordable health care system that's help, ha- happier and healthier for everyone, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, we're looking at, you know, new models around everything, around commerce, around education, and I, I really hope that we'll see a different model around around healthcare. I've, naturopathic medicine has cured me of rheumatoid arthritis, osteoporosis, yes. and Lyme disease. And I have a couple of kids who do that, who do, do naturopath stuff, and they swear by them. And so. Um, so Diane, so um, yes. Diane, um, uh, Joseph, Diane. I'd like to address a question you asked the, uh, a little bit before. Um, how does a parent teach a child to love, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. Here's here's an issue that I get in my family a lot. Um, in my family, my office, um, parents will say to me, "He's so mad at me. There's nothing good I can do for him." I can't give him a kiss or a hug. Um, He doesn't even want my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so I have found over the course of time that it's really important to not only teach children, but people in general about anger. You know, anger isn't a bad emotion. It's one we all have. It's just how how we express it that makes it right or wrong. And the children don't always know how to express it because they're told they're not supposed to be angry. and uh, But they're very angry. And you see this particularly on the psych units and places like this where children are just so frustrated they're doing criminal things out of sheer nothing else to do, if that makes sense. And so I spend a lot of time before I teach people to love and love each other in a family or work together is allowing them to learn how to be angry. And just the simple thing, I can give you one example of a family that every time this anger and this uncontrollable behavior occurred, everybody was sent to their rooms. 
<clears throat> now, I don't know one thing other than to sleep that comes out of being sent to your room. It certainly doesn't fit any crime. And just teaching parents that um, it's time to sit children down and teach them how to talk, teach them mm-hmm. how to share their anger in meaningful ways, use their words, mm-hmm. not their hands and their body or guns as they get older. And this is what they don't understand. And once you teach them how to talk, it changes the entire dynamics in the family. I mean, even sitting around the table for dinner is not so bad when you have something to talk about. Does that make sense? It sure does. It does. You know, there's, does. there's, a, there's a class I used to be um, growing, growing children's God's way. And I remember uh, my daughter, um, who's, a ba- who's a Baptist, who met with a bunch of people and they, what they did was they, it, it was this workshop that you, that you had a, you went to a house and I always thought we should do this. We should do this ourselves a different idea, but you go to a house, you have six or seven people, they have this workbook and then they have this videotape they play about, you know, like for instance, when you tell your child that they shouldn't run because Mrs. Jones is 98 and you might run into her and knock her over and you explain to the child why mm-hmm. they should do something opposed to saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. We do that for, you know, but you actually explain to the child why you're doing this. And so having said that, that, that people are, are doing this with th- this program. I think that's a great program that people need to, you know, I've said this a million times. There's no, there's no instructions on how to raise children, and there should be. Because, you know, we're, we make it up as we go along. And uh, right. sometimes, sometimes it's Jeff, you know, this more than anybody else. I mean, so how do you, and, we're, and that's a whole different program. We're going to talk about that, because that's my pet peeve. Um, right. But anyway, I'd like to pick- I mean, I just, go ahead. I wanted to piggyback off of Diane's comments regarding the expression of anger. Um, There's another model that I like to share with people that is an absolute truth. And there's a saying that says, anger always, always sits on top of fear. And as uh, it was pointed out a moment ago, fear being false evidence appearing real This is a really important concept for people to understand. There's a difference between danger and fear. Danger is going to the zoo on a day when the tiger gets out and is chasing people around. That's real danger. So danger is actually real. It's something that's happening now. It's in the moment, and it's going to trigger the autonomic nervous system to either fight it, run away from it, or freeze until the danger passes. So there's nothing wrong with feeling frightened when danger is present. But fear is completely different because fear isn't actually happening. It either already happened and it's not happened any longer and you're maybe considering or afraid that it might happen again. Or you never had any history with it, but now, right now, I've never had the coronavirus, but there's this whole energy out there about people being afraid to get it, right? So I don't have it, but yet there's all this energy out there that maybe I could get it, and that, that makes people frightened. So there's a huge difference between 
the feeling of fright with regard to is there actually something right now in this moment that's in front of me that I need to feel this way because there's danger present. So teaching children the difference between danger that's real and is happening versus fear, which is the imagination or imagining that something might happen. It's a huge, huge difference. And so the expression of anger, since it always sits on top of fear, is actually not necessary. So if you teach children, okay, is there danger right now? No, there is not danger. Okay, can we be content to know that we've always gotten what we've needed and we have that right now in this moment? Yes. So being able to help them understand there is a time and a place to feel frightened. But to imagine if mommy and daddy are fighting and you're afraid daddy's going to leave, that's something you're imagining could happen. And then there's a story that you're building behind it, like, we won't be okay if daddy leaves. Well, how do you know that? How do you know you won't be okay? It's something you haven't ever experienced before, or maybe you have, and it, it was scary because, you, you know, you want daddy around because he's going to protect. So the idea of how can we be safe there's this whole story that children and, you know, and we grow up as children to become adults that we continue this storytelling in our mind about scary things that aren't actually happened. And, and we're living in that space in our mind. So this is, I'm, I'm glad Diane brought that up with regard to helping children express anger, but then being able to also help them see that there's a time and a place that's appropriate, like when the tiger's out at the zoo or where somebody's being mean to you and they're bullying you that that's you know that's a dangerous experience that it's appropriate to feel that way but the other times you help them shift out of it back to i have what i need now i'll always get what i need and that creates contentment that can that creates peace in your life so thank you diane for bringing that up well listen let me let me tell you one other piece i have is that piggybacks onto that is that often you know get an experience that um, you were saved from it. But to spend the rest of your life worrying that that might occur again is a real dilemma, you know? Um, it's important that we de- well, I'm back to my detox that I talked the last time we were on here about, the, you know, detoxing and never negative thoughts. You don't want to forget, for example, that there's a tiger down my road. But you don't want to spend every day worrying about the type of what's important is the wisdom that you get out of these experiences that, that leaves you with the safeguard of what you have to do to protect yourself. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I love that word safe. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that you can constantly ask yourself. Am I safe right now? And the definition of now, I love to use Einstein's definition. You know, when he was working on the unifying theory of everything and he came up with the uh, you know, mass and uh, E equals MC squared formula, one of the discoveries they made along the way was that the human mind experiences time in waves of eight-second intervals. And so every eight seconds, the human mind has a new moment, a new now, or a new presence. So we really only have to go from one eight-second experience to the next eight-second experience to the next one. So I love asking people, do you have what you need now with the definition of now only being eight seconds? And the answer is yes. Yes, I have what I need now. You can do anything for eight seconds. You can even bleed for eight seconds. You can have, you know, a splitting headache for eight seconds. And you only have to go from this eight seconds to the next one to the next one, and you know that you're going to get what you need. Everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end, 
And you just have to ask yourself, where am I in this process? Am I at the beginning of this difficult experience that teaches wisdom, like Diane pointed out, which is amazing, but this all comes back to the precipice of, am I safe? And we are safe. We are safe. When you're not safe, you know that these are times, the challenges that are in your life, again, to teach wisdom and to know that, you know, we came here to have an exciting experience. I mean, how boring would it be if we never had any challenges? I don't even know why we'd come to the planet to have this experience if we didn't come here to have challenges at times yeah, so that we can know cool. who we are. <laughs> this is a great well, everybody always, everyone always says that this is a, a learning um, place where we are right now that we, we, mm-hmm. we learn, we learn every day. Everybody has a story and um, everybody you either listen to someone and, and, and learn their story and try and identify with what's going on with you or you just block it out and you do what you need to do and then you end up in a situation where you thought, how do I get here? Right. Well, we have this same From thing going on, right, going on with this pandemic right now. I mean, if you go out and don't wear a face mask, you are not safe. And if you go out with a, safe, a face, mask, face mask, you probably are going to keep yourself pretty well away from the things that you don't want. And you know the distinction between those two very clearly. And if you have wisdom, you'll probably use what makes you feel safe. If you're kind of tempting the fate of life, so to speak, you'll go out without your mask and say, never hit me. You know how that is. And we're seeing yeah. that right now. We're seeing that right now. We're seeing those that are being very resistive to self-protection, and we're seeing others that are being almost overly protected. Whichever medium you're using, um, there's there's that personal element that tells you, I'm okay. And you're, you don't feel okay when you're not prepared. And that's what we're seeing today. The governors are going to try and reopen a lot of situations. And what do you think about that, Jeff? And you guys? Well, somehow the machine has to keep going. So if, if we lived in a universe of abundance with regard to money, and you know we could just write checks and the banks would cash them, I guess we could all stay home until this eventually is over. But somehow farmers have to farm and fishermen have to fish and stores have to, you know, they stock so that we can eat because we don't grow our own food any longer. We are so not living in a self-sustaining lifestyle. And perhaps maybe that's one thing that this virus will teach us is that it would be very wonderful to go back to doing our own gardening and, you know, having healthy water supply and all the things that we've gotten used to buying. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I actually found somebody to build some garden um, boxes which I took up to Ace Hardware in DuPont, and now hopefully the people will realize this is the best way. It's a six-foot long by four-foot or three-and-a-half-foot wide. It's 10 inches deep, and I believe that this is what people need to do. I mean, it's nothing to do. It's nothing to do like, um, you know, tomatoes and potatoes and carrots and all those things. Because if, if it's true what they say about a food shortage, uh, then it's good to have um, have all this vegetables and stuff on hand. Mm-hmm. And we look back at the similar short shortages in World War II and the 
and the Victory Gardens and, and so forth. One of the pieces I've been working on is called Painting the Post-Pandemic Picture. You know, what's my role? That each of us define something of benefit, be it sustainability. From, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's uh, natural health and also the environment, especially our waste streams. And I was uh, sent an image of each of us being pixels within an individual picture. And as we come together, we're going to find, you know, each of us as these, as these sparks of, of light, as these pixels are going to paint a new, a new post-pandemic picture. But I, w- I was to, to, to look back you know, again more from the, from the spiritual aspect of challenges and fears, we refer to these as soul contracts. And, you know, we come into this lifetime with certain lessons that we have agreed to learn, and, and many of these challenges are part of that soul contract. So there, there are some, you know, some points here. You know, one is if you can come to acceptance that everything is unfolding according to a divine plan, that these are our lessons in this lifetime, and there are no mistakes, there are no bad luck, there is no bad karma, and as you can come to acceptance, and it's, it's clearer to see what, what the issue is, I think, and, and move beyond it. I find that I personally, if I have a fear, if I can, if I can give it a name, I'll say I'll, I'll name it Tiger, that way I can disassociate it from me as being something separate from me, because I know that my ego, if I'm in a, in a point of fear, let's say, of, of moving forward and doing something new with my work, my ego may spin back at me and say, uh-uh, you tried that once before, be careful, don't do it again. So this, you know, this also brings in, you know, the aspect of trust and how we, how much faith we have in our connection with a higher presence, you know, and, you know, a couple of other points that resonate well with, particularly well with me, because I've dealt with a tremendous amount of fear and coming out of my dark ages was, you know, knowing this too will pass. We, we often feel that the situation that I, uh, that I'm in is, is, Forever, and as Jeff was saying, with with the eight with this eight second definition of now, that eventually you're going to move through this, and if you can come at it from a really positive perspective, you're going to that energy. You're going to release that energy. That energy is going to move more quickly, and you'll come out of it. And we also move that energy more quickly when we let go of the outcome. We can get really attached to oh, my life is going to come to an end. If, you know, thus and such doesn't occur for me, and if you let go of the outcome, and this, this goes back to, to, you know, the soul contract piece, and then the bottom line for me is, is freedom. You know, trust and freedom. I think that the, the ultimate and greatest freedom in life is to not be afraid to die, and that tie, ties back with our connection with our higher presence. So that's, that's my, my spiritual spin on the aspects of, of fear. Diane, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about this as a matter of fact. Um, you know, I, I in, in my practice, I see that the bottom line to all things is that we do believe in something. I don't care what you call it, but I think that it's essential to have a healthy decision-making system, to have healthy comfort in being 
alone and not alone or even having joy and happiness, I think there has to be that that peace that you feel to the infinite degree you're one with and that is always present and that you can always tap into it. Now, I know there are those people that don't feel that 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 is the way it is, but that is my belief system, and that's our greatest strength. So all this fear and anger that we're talking about, we're not alone. And that's a big issue because many people feel very alone. You talk to soldiers soldiers that have been in war, and when they're on an ambush, how do they feel? You know, there's other soldiers out there with them, but where they are in that moment, they are usually alone. And that's a really incredibly dark feeling if you don't have some connection to something that is meaningful to you. Um, Agree? Those are wonderful, wonderful points that you're raising, and it, it made you mentioned two of the four primary fears common to all men, primarily the fear of pain, mm-hmm. the fear of losing control, the mm-hmm. fear of death, and the fear of dying alone are the primary four major fears. And so mm-hmm. all stories that we're telling ourselves will lead us back to one of those core fears and the more afraid you are, you might have all four of them built into your same story, which is really interesting to look at the level of fear that a person is in, how many of those four versions of fear are built into their story, mm-hmm. which is making them afraid. But exactly. what I love about what you were saying, Diane, was this idea of in the energy of love, it is not possible to be alone. And here's, here's why and here's how. So one of the definitions of God in the Holy Book, the Bible, says God is love. The other thing that's really cool from that book is that God created us in his image. Male and female, he created them. So we're created in the image of God. If God is love, that means we're also love. And if you're getting, if you're feeling alone or afraid, it's not possible to be alone in the energy of love because there's a unity, there's a yoga, there's an advieta, there's an allness, a oneness, a singularity, many, many different terms for this concept of we are everything. And it is, it's only when you get into the mindset of I'm separate from God, that what we call duality. So you have the concept of duality, which is about separateness. God's over there, I'm over here. My loved ones are across the ocean. I'm over here. And that, that comes from a mindset of the physical, living in the physical body, the physical world. If you make a shift into the metaphysical, which would include the energy of love, the energy of God, the energy of the afterlife, the energy of past lives, all of that stuff, it's absolutely impossible to be alone. But you can certainly tell yourself you are. And if you tell yeah, yourself you are, guess what? You will be. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, um, you're digging um, your own hole, and you don't even realize it. Um, you so know, um, Sharon Milliman, who wrote Go that ahead. book, um, you know, we've had Sharon on a radio show many times. And she actually had a struck by lightning, and she went to heaven and came back and wrote a book and dedicated to me. But one of the things in her book that she had said was that she actually met Jesus when she was in heaven. And he was sitting on a, a log, and he said, you know, he said, come over and sit by me, Sharon. So he, she did, and he said to her, Sharon, if nobody else was here but you and I, well, you know, what would you, what, what would you think, what would you do? And she said, oh, I'd probably drive you crazy with all my chatter. And he laughed, 
and and what he was trying to get to was that just like you said, Jeff, that Jesus or they're in they're not separate from us. They're in everything we. They're in the trees. They're in the flowers. He, he said he's when Sharon said, "Now I understand. Um, I'm I'm you're in everything we do, everywhere we go, all 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 one." And and that's what all he wanted her to understand was that exactly what what he you know what she finally got it. She said, "Oh, now I understand. We are one with all that there is." Which, Absolutely, which I believe I believe that for a long time, and have someone tell you like that is himself tell you that was pretty special. If we could go back to tie the fear of death back into you know the, those two words, fear and death, that again I'm, I'm I'm making a lot of references today that come from the Bible, and it's not that I'm trying to make this a religious conversation. It's just one book that I believe speaks a lot of truth. That is, you know, a lot of people are familiar with it, but there's uh, several passages that say 80 times, fear not. 80 times in that book, it says, do not be afraid. So this, and, you know, and that also that death is actually like a graduation or it's a transition from the physical into the metaphysical. So it really is not something to be afraid of. So even if, even if, it was your time to get the coronavirus, and even if it took your life, that's not something to be afraid of, because you're going to a place that is even better, and uh, your lessons here are over. You know, think about it like it's you've graduated Life University, and now you get to go experience what's next with all the lessons that you learned here. And you're welcomed, you're welcomed by your ancestors, your family, your past pets. All of that stuff shows up and is in your experience again. So death is absolutely not something to be afraid of. It's simply a transition. It's no different than going to sleep. And you just, it's like a dream. We wake up from a dream, we go to sleep, we go into dreams. So that's nothing different than moving out of this body into the next state. So we can just cross out. There is no reason to be afraid of death. And Jeff, you and I have been doing this for, what, 15 years now, this radio show? Uh, I'm sure it's it's that long. When when you and I started talking about, and you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because of all the young military men and women who lost their lives in this, this war that we had. And so um, I want the people, the family members, to know that there is no death; that you don't die; you simply just go on to the next place. <laughs> and and after talking to, I don't know, two hundred people, I guess Jeff, we've had talked to a lot of people through our years, and everybody says the same things. It's not like one person. I nobody, as far as I'm concerned, and I know there's hell, but no one has ever said I went to hell. Everybody has always gone to heaven, the ones that we talked to, which was about 200 people, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's really a beautiful thing, and we all know that. And I I have con- continually talked to my mother, and I, I know that she's watching me, and I know that she's a part of my life even still. And yeah. so I'm. I, we're going to have a show about that one of these days and next. About, I think people need to know about what happens when you die again. 
I'd like to share an image that was sent to me that will elaborate that, and I, I, I think that you'll enjoy this. Right before my mother died, I was sent an image of a flat gray, gray plane, like a, a, like a molten lead, and my mother's face came up face first through this molten lead, and she gave this, this, this incredible <gasps> gasping intake of air, the analogy being that living in physical form was like trying to breathe underwater. And the day after she died, I had the exact same image sent to me, but it was in color instead of black and white. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm. And this is, you know, I, you know, I come from from the spiritual, you know, um, perspective and how my my guide leads, you know, sees these images to me, and I think that you know we they are relayed to us in sometimes the most simple terms. And, you know, one of the, the, the next things that I'm, I'm going to do is to step back from my work and do more listening. And the image that was, was sent to me was of, of stepping away from the intellectual and getting deep, more deeply into my heart, which is a listening space. And this morning I was sent an image of the energy coming around my back from all sides and exiting out through my heart so that we all, as we do this work in our in our service to other people, we we all are reaching them from this this heart this heart space. And I just love what what Diane and, and Jeff have been adding. And, and and the more that we can come forward, especially in this time, because it's it's it's, it's so needed. You were talking about 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 isolation. You know, isolation, as we isolate in this pandemic, isolation breeds fear. And also, the more that we're in this isolation, we, the more we have people, as Jeff was saying, they're watching the drama and the sensationalism of news and social media, taking themselves into, into a, a vibration that's the antithesis of where we need to be moving. So, you know, good on you and, and all of us for reaching out at this time, this is a, a voice that's really valuable. We've talked about... Many people have been, you know, sequestered, so to speak, with their family, which has, um, you know, it has its, tic- its tickler moments if the family has had a lot of problems, but in the same breath, it gives you the comfort you are not alone. And the fear is, is in theory, greatly reduced under those circumstances. So far, we've talked about three of the four core fears common to all man, and I'll review those again real quickly. It's the fear of pain, the fear of dying, the fear of dying alone, and the fear of losing control. We haven't really talked about the fear of pain, so if we could take just a second to talk about that, that would kind of bring us full circle on having done due diligence to cover the four primary areas of fear. So the fear of pain, I have found in the last three years, I've had 14 surgeries. I broke both of my arms several years ago at the same time, one badly mm. enough that it was possibly going to require amputation, and it took 12 surgeries on that arm to put it back together again and give me full use of it. But as I kept going through these surgeries, it was really amazing to me that I learned that pain was in my mind. I used to think yeah. it was in my arms or it was in the areas of the body, that there was appeared to be injury but as i got into and and 
at the beginning in the hospital for sure, and shortly after the surgeries in the beginning, I was given Dilaudid and fentanyl and Vicodin, you know, all the painkillers. And I just, they weren't doing anything good for my, my body and my mind. So I really wanted to understand what pain is. And, and that experience, some people may hear, oh my gosh, you had 14 surgeries, that's awful. I'm like, no, it was wonderful. It taught me, it taught me what pain is and what it isn't. And I really learned that pain is in the mind and that you can, through deep meditation, through vibrating and in the energy of love, you can literally transcend pain. And I truly mean that. That's not just a feel-good statement I'm trying to make. I've really lived it, and I love being able to teach other people that ability to move out of their physical pain and into a state of love, which brings about healing. And it's just, that's really amazing. And there's many, many great works and books that people want to learn more about that. Just Google that, that pain is in the mind. It's not in the body. Say, Jeff, did you do meditation through that as well? Absolutely, Joseph. Uh, Kriya Yoga is the primary form of meditation. You know, I, I just want to, I want to tell you something really, really quick. I, you know, well, I've said this for a long time, that we need to teach kids how to meditate. But I remember yes, there was a Walt Disney, movie, Walt Disney movie that came out, and the boy was sent to his grandfather's house, and the grandfather was Indian, I think, or he was part Indian, and he had a wolf that was in it, Walt Disney produced this. It was in a cage, and the grandfather went to the market, and he said, whatever you do, don't touch, don't, don't, don't go near that wolf. He will bite you. Well, of course, the first time he's got the driveway, that's exactly where he went. And the wolf bit him. As he thought, grandfather said, he, he would. And so the kid got a good-sized wound, and he did what he could to stop the bleeding, but then he went on to his top bunk, and he said, do what your mother says. When you have pain, meditate. Leave your body. And he did exactly that. It actually showed him leaving his body and getting out of the pain. And then he went back and he, he went into the wolf and he saw how, the, how through the wolf's eyes how the kid looked. So he realized why he was scary and why the wolf didn't like him. So the, the, med- the meditation, oh, we have two minutes left, guys. I'm sorry. Um, it goes so fast when we have all these all these topics, and I'm just so happy you all are here. And two minutes to wrap this up, guys, so go ahead. <laughs> it sounds like you had a climactic end of that story that we want to hear, so use the two minutes there. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, what happened was that he actually he healed himself through meditation, that he left his body in pain, and, he, and it's the whole thing. I mean, at Walt Disney put this on, I thought, this is what people need to know about meditation. It does work, and you and you do leave your body for when you have pain. Well, how yeah. about uh, all this self uh, hypnosis that we're teaching to women in childbirth? Same difference. They're managing their pain. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I worked I worked at the hospital um, for for a few years in the. The OBGYN doctor was telling me about a woman who said, I just saw myself sitting by the window, and she was in bed, and he says, yeah, that's your astral body. You know, and so, I mean, we do have astral bodies, and we can leave our body, and people that do meditate can do great stuff as, as a healing situation. Yeah. Anyway, guys... 
We have about five minutes, and I want to thank you all for being here. Well, you're it's welcome, It's always Joseph. a pleasure to have you, Jeff, and, and Dr. Vian, and and um, Linda here, and and um, I hope I hope that we've explained some of the things that that uh, attract fear, and that hopefully we'll continue this conversation next time we have a another in two weeks. We do a All show right. every two weeks. And uh, and Jeff and Diane, I'm about to move to the other side of the country to beautiful Vermont, and I'm going on sabbatical for a while. So if I don't see you for a bit, I will. I look forward to seeing you again. All right. All right. Well, okay. well, good, good luck to you. Good luck, yeah. Good luck. And Diane, thank right. you. And thank Diane. Diane paid for this show today. And uh, and I can't thank you enough, Diane. Thank you, Diane. Us. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Fantastic. Okay. In thank fact, you paid for it last week as well. So um, huh. we appreciate people supporting this because for, for the last 20 years, I was paying for it. So it's kind of nice to have someone else step up. Anyway, thank you so much again for you guys for your input, and um, and you know and you, you know you we talked about all those things you said. Nobody dies alone. Nobody ever dies alone. You have somebody there that comes and comes and meets you, and and Absolutely. just that's one thing I do know. Yeah, and it's really not a death; it's a transition. That's right. Yes, it's transition. So nothing to be nothing to be afraid of. No fear. Anyway, um, yeah, so anyway, um, we're going to do this again in uh, two weeks from now, and we're going to talk about death, I think, and uh, we'll talk about this like we talked about before, Jeff, um, and we'd like to have Diane join us as well, and, and I you. think probably Diane and Juanita will join us. Okay. I understand you had a you had a reading, Diana. Well, how did that go? It went well, very well. I heard that. Yes, yes you said you did. were very happy. Diana yes, is a medium, and she's really wonderful what she does. And she um, is one, been on my radio show for about ten years now. And um, yes. Okay, guys. Uh, okay. I, I thank you so much. This is Joseph Body presents. Thank you, Joseph. Radio, we're signing off.